0: Essence, guys, what we're talking about, this, this life that we're in, this, this relationship that we, we have with the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the good news of the kingdom of God, the, the gospel itself, ultimately and, and essentially boils down to this it is a love story. It's a love story. And I love how God, because obviously He is so so He does transcend. Uh, the created world to an extent to where we really, it's hard for us to comprehend God. I mean, that's the understatement of the of the century, right? It's, it's difficult for us in our finite mortal minds to to really comprehend a being who is so holy, as we just sang a minute ago, and he's omniscient and omnipotent and he's omnipresent and he, he, you know, he is righteous and true and just in, in all of his ways. And so it's very difficult for us to kind of wrap our minds around this this infinite being who is immortal and, and is so full of glory and yet God reveals himself to us in a very personal way and then he goes even further to 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 uh, talk to us in terms of human relationships and that's why we call him our heavenly what? Father he wants us to think about what does it mean to be a father and we be his Children. That's why he talks about the church being brothers and sisters and using those family terms to to help us understand this relationship. But you know, the the greatest illustration that God uses to portray his relationship to his people is the marriage relationship. It's the relationship between husband and wife. And I'm going to be uh, very um, clear with you this morning there is no closer there is no more intimate relationship in life than the relationship between a husband and his wife and his bride parents you love your kids but that relationship that you have with your children should never supersede your relationship that you have with your husband with your spouse and that's why today's message is when we look at what we're going to see in revelation this morning which is the marriage supper of the lamb it, it, it just it, it just amazes me and it, and it really it gets me so excited to think about the day when God's bride which is what we have become part of okay we'll see that all here in just a minute when we truly get to stand before our bridegroom God in all of our purity and beauty and splendor and we get to actually consummate this marriage relationship i I'll, I'll tell you this and i'll go ahead and get ahead of myself real quickly I, st- I still believe we're in a betrothal relationship with the lord now you may not know what betrothal means but a betrothal is when you're engaged to be married your, your, your covenant you, you've made a promise a commitment to be married to someone and in 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 all practical uh, you know in, in all practicality, you're married to that person, you're already building a life together, you're already getting things prepared to 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 you know live together as one, but you have not yet consummated that marriage. And in, in Jewish customs, that's the way that it would be. You might be betrothed to someone for years, or at least months before that marriage was finally consummated on the marriage night, and then you were one. And that's when the, the marriage was consummated. That's when it was completed, if, if it were. And we're waiting that day when we, as God's bride, we get to come before the Lord, presented to him, and we are married to him. And that is what we are all looking for and waiting for. It, it is a love story. And so that's why when we talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb guys, We're talking about the the greatest relationship in this life. The marriage relationship. Think about it. Where did this all begin? In a garden. With a husband and his bride. Who gave away Eve to to be married to her husband, Adam? The Lord did. The Lord presented the first bride to be married to her husband. We see Jesus there in... Uh, Galilee at the wedding at Cana, right? What does he do? He blesses the marriage by performing his first miracle, turning the water into, into wine. In a, in a symbolic way to foreshadow the death by which he must die, the shedding of his blood. And the reason that Jesus came to give his life was for his bride. His wayward bride that had turned her back on him for so long and yet he still in his faithfulness and compassion and love was willing to come and give his way. Give his life for her. And then this will all be consummated. This will all reach its ultimate climax and conclusion when Jesus Christ returns to this earth to receive us to himself. And that's what this really, this whole story is all about. And so as we look at Revelation 19 this morning... We're just going to jump into the first 10 verses of the chapter. And I've got so much <laughs> that I want to share with you guys. Again, I'll do my very best to get through this in a, in a responsible fashion, but there's just so much good stuff in here that I hope that you'll stick with me because this is an amazing concept for us to understand. After this in Revelation 19, we're in verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are just and true. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. So already we're seeing this, this drastic contrast between harlot Babylon, the, the one that leads the world into idolatry to, to take the people away from God, and the bride of Christ, which is the faithful believers who are remaining in that covenant relationship with God. So we see that in Revelation 19. And so they again cried out, Hallelujah. And the smoke from her, that's harlot Babylon, goes up forever and ever because she's been judged. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you servants, you who fear him, small and great. Verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out again. Y'all getting the theme here? Hallelujah, right? Praise the Lord for the Lord, our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. On our wedding day, what we see the bride, she typically wears what? White, wine. It's, it's all rooted in this. It's rooted in the imagery that we get out of this passage. Clothing herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And then John, he fell down at the feet to worship this angel. But the angel said, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let me say one word about that last verse right here. If you're reading your Bible... Especially, let's say, you know, Hebrew scripture, Old Testament, reading through some of the prophetic scriptures. Some of those things can be a little difficult to understand. I know that. If you're ever in doubt or wondering what does this passage mean, just put who right in the center of it. Put Jesus. Say, okay, how does Jesus, when I put him right into the middle of this passage, what does he teach me about this passage? That's what that verse means. The testimony of who? Jesus is at the heart, it is the spirit of all prophecy. So if you're ever in doubt and you don't quite understand a passage of scripture, just put Jesus in the middle of it and it will begin to come come clear. Okay, I I believe that 100%. All right, so here's what we got to do. It is always good to to define the the, the players and the characters in the book. Now, if you were with me several weeks ago, we, we touched on some of these things in Revelation chapter 12 when we looked at this woman who was you know clothed in the sun with the 12 stars on her head and her moon the moon at her feet and she went into the wilderness and we talked about how this woman is representative ultimately of the bride and the bride is israel the bride of christ is israel now here's what we got to understand guys you see there are many people who believe that God has two wives. He's polygamous. It's not what the Bible teaches. But see, some people, because we've, we've created this hard-line dichotomy between Old Testament and New Testament, which honestly is not, they, those aren't even really biblical terms, but, but I mean, let's, we could, we can, they're hard to break, so we, we understand Old Testament New Testament. But because of this, we say, okay, the, and this even goes very far into some people's understanding that they're, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of... The New Testament, there's many people who believe that. They struggle. They say, you know, there's no way the God of the Old Testament can be the same as the God of the New Testament. Guys, listen, there's one testament. It's the word of God. From from Genesis to Revelation, there's one testimony about who God is. He's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And because we've driven this hard line of separation and this distinction, we say, you know what? God was married, Yehovah, the God of the Old Testament, he was married to Israel but then when Jesus came along, he got to an upgrade it in a better version, and that's the church. He got the new model. And, and, you know, and then we put ourselves into that group, and we're the church, man. We feel good about ourselves. Guys, that's not what the Bible teaches. There's always been what? One bride of, of God. One bride. That's, and, and the plan of God from the beginning was Israel. Israel is God's plan. There is no plan B. Jesus is the, is the Savior, He's the King of. Israel. Y'all understand that, right? No Israel, there's no Messiah of Israel. Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. And so the first thing I want to share with you this morning is that God chose Israel to be his cherished bride forever, and Jesus is the what? He's the bridegroom. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through some of this kind of quickly as, as in way of review, because, again, we shared some of this back in Revelation chapter 12. But you have to remember that God made a marriage covenant with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. And I told you about that, how the, the Ten Commandments were, by and large, marriage vows. And the Lord's like, hey, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. We're going to be one. Do, you know, I'm proposing to you. What do you say? And then the people are like, yeah, well, what you said is good. We're going to do it, right? So that was what happened at Mount Sinai. You see all the way back in Exodus 6. God said to the people of Israel, right? Don't miss this. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. In Exodus 19, again, it's a covenant. It's an agreement. It's a marriage covenant. If you will obey my voice, keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all the people. God chose Israel. You will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that he shall speak to who? The people of Israel. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has what? Chosen you. He set his affections on this particular pe- group of people. You were to be a people for his treasured possession, guys. And it's out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. Not because you were more numbered. But that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. This is all marriage language. He loves you. He chose you. You're his possession. You're his cherished bride. Because the Lord loves you, he is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Well, if God married Israel at Mount Sinai, then who's... So Israel is, again, we're talking about a group of people, a collective body of people. Okay, so... So that's where, it, don't, don't get confused, you know, you have a husband and a wife, they're exclusive for each other. God just chose a, a group of people, called who? Called Israel. That's just the name, okay? And, and so he chose this group of people to be his treasured possession, to be his covenant people. That's what, that's what this is all about. So if, if Israel is the bride, who's the bridegroom? Jesus. You say, well, well, where do you get that? Well, let's look at the New Testament. Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus is talking to himself. And don't miss this. From a first century Jewish perspective, if somebody came along talking about the bridegroom, they automatically would go back to the covenant that God made with Israel at Mount Sinai. Who did Moses speak to face-to-face on Sinai? Who's the image of the invisible God? Jesus. Who, when God shows up in physical form, who is it? It's Jesus, God the Son. When Jesus wrote the Ten Commandments with his own what? Finger in the stone. Who was that? Jesus. He is the bridegroom God. He was the one that came down from heaven in, on the mountain there on Sinai in flaming fire to enter into this marriage relationship with Israel, And so in the New Testament, we see this language all over the place. Look at what John the Baptist said. You yourselves bear witness about me. Excuse me. You yourselves bear me witness. I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is who? Who's he talking about? Jesus. The friend, he's, John the Baptist is like, I'm the best man. Okay, I'm just the friend. I'm the best man. I stand and I hear him, and I'm rejoicing greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. John understood who Jesus was. Jesus clearly understood who he was. He told these parables, Matthew 22, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. He is the son that God has prepared this wedding feast for. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And so, guys, don't miss this. We have Jesus, the bridegroom. We have the people, the covenant people of Israel is the bride, has always been the bride. And then we have historically Israel being what? Being unfaithful. From the very beginning, but I just want to show you just some of the the language. I'm not going to cover all of these in detail, but let me just walk you through how the Old Testament, again, the the Hebrew scriptures are full of this language that God was married to Israel. He was their husband and they were his bride. Look at some of the passages from Hosea. Plead with your mother, Israel. Plead for she is not my wife and I'm not her husband see, God called her back to himself over and over and over and over again because she was wayward. She, went un, she became unfaithful. She would chase after other gods relentlessly, perpetually. And yet God was constantly what? Calling her back. Hey, maybe we need to get some counseling. Maybe we need to have a sit-down talk about this. Why do you continually run after other men? Why are you going to chase after other gods? And God was so patient and so patient with Israel... Until finally he's like, well, if you're not going to be faithful to me and you're going to continue to live in unfaithfulness and and adultery, then I'm just going to have to give you what you want. Go. Leave. That's what Hosea is saying. I'm I'm not your husband anymore. You, You have... You know, put away the whoring from your face, your adultery from between her breasts. This is very vivid language to, to convey the, the heart of God who is broken hearted over his people. But then in all of these passages that talk about God putting away his wife because of her unfaithfulness, if you keep reading, he's always talking about the day when he's going to what? Bring her back. I'm not, I'm not putting you away forever. There's going to come a day when I'm going to bring you back in that day. The Lord uh, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. I will make you lie in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. This is the promise of God. He wasn't completely done with Israel. He never was completely done with her. Okay, and we're going to see how he made it right through Jesus At the cross in that day, again, the earth will answer the grain and the wine and the oil and they will answer just real. And I will say of her myself in the land and I will have mercy on no mercy. I will say to not my people, you are my people and you will say you are my God. Again, in Jeremiah three, he talks about how God finally put away Israel because of her unfaithfulness. But then in Jeremiah 31, look at what he says. The days are coming. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them up by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I was their husband. This is the language that you read all throughout the scriptures. But then he goes on to say, I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. And I will be their God and they will be my people. And then finally in Isaiah 54, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. You see, guys, it's always been about Israel. The God of the whole earth, he is called. He called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit. For a brief moment, I deserted you. But with great compassion, I will what? I will gather you. Do You see the language? And so, guys, just to understand that is critical. But here's the question some of you are sitting around asking. Why should I care? I'm not a Jew. I'm not a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So why should we care? Hey, guys, let me tell you something. You should care. You should care a lot. You want to know why? Because everything that we just read has everything to do with who? With you and me. You say, what? What do you mean? Guys, because we, as believers, as when we put our hope and our faith in the Messiah of Israel, the King of Israel, he takes us as Gentiles who once were alienated from God in our pagan idolatry, he takes us and he brings us into the commonwealth of Israel. We become part of Israel. Israel, we got to get this through our heart in our hearts and through our heads. There is no separation. He's saying, Israel has always been my people. This has always been my collective covenant people. And when you put your faith in the God of Israel and in the Messiah, in His Messiah, Jesus Christ, He brings you into what? Into Israel. That's why it matters to you and me. We are what? Grafted in. Jesus made a way for Gentiles to be included. Into the commonwealth of Israel through his what? Through his blood. And I'm not going to go into all the details about this because again, this is a lot of recap from where we were uh, a few weeks ago in in, uh, Revelation chapter 12, but I do want to share this with you because it's fascinating. According to the Old Testament law, if a husband was put away from her, uh, if a wife was divorced from her husband. And she was put away and she went and married another man. If that man died or she was divorced again, it was forbidden for her to go back and marry her first husband. It was an abomination. Can't do that. The only way she could be set free from the marriage law, the law of marriage, is if her husband what? Died. What did Jesus do? The bridegroom came in the flesh and willingly laid down his life and died to cancel out that old marriage contract. That marriage contract was annulled because the husband, what? He died and then he was resurrected in the newness of life and now he was able to remarry his bride in a new what? In a new covenant. That's what the new covenant is, guys. It's a new marriage contract. That was made possible only through the death of the husband. And guess what? We get to become part of that. Isn't it a beautiful story? I could go on and on about this. I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures before we move on. Remember that you were at one time, Gentiles, that's you and me. We were separated from Christ. We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers to the covenants of promise. In other words, we weren't part of his bride. Okay? We had no hope and we were without God in the world. But what happened? But now Christ Jesus, who you were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And because of that, now we have access, guys. We have access to this new covenant. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Paul tells us in Romans 11, Romans 11, through the trespasses of Israel, salvation has come to who? To us. Because of Israel's sin, God has opened up the, the door for even us. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing when you think about it. How much more will their full inclusion be? For we were grafted in among the others, and now we share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. It's not you who supports, the root, it is the root that supports you. Don't be arrogant toward the people of Israel. That's is what this is saying because we just get to be part of what was already there. We're grafted in to this greater body. And there's Romans 7. if you want to go read that about the law of the mar- law of marriage and how the husband died, it's fascinating. And of course we know Jesus in, in Ephesians chapter 5 again equates himself to the bridegroom and he's telling us he's saying, husbands love your wives, As as Paul is saying this, I'm sorry, Paul, the Apostle Paul. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is the pinnacle of God's redemption at the cross. That Jesus was willing to lay down his life for his bride. This is amazing. This is a mystery. Is what Paul says. I'm talking about Christ and his bride. Interestingly enough, Jesus mentions this in John 10. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now look at what he says. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. In other words, there's Israel. But Jesus said it's not just about the lost sheep of Israel. It's about who? The whole world, Gentiles, that I want to bring into Look at what he says. And they will listen to my voice, so there there will be what? One flock and one shepherd. Guys, there's one bride and one bridegroom. Always has been, always will be. And as Isaiah says, I'm going to bring you to my holy mountain. And it says, I will gather others, yet others to him besides those who are already gathered. And so now let's move on to this next concept that I will call the gathering. The gathering. We are very familiar with what Jesus said in Matthew in in his Olivet Discourse. He says, when you see the Son of Man coming, we'll see this in a minute, he's coming on the clouds, he's going to send his angels out to the four corners of the earth, and he's going to what? He's going to gather his elect. He's going to bring his chosen bride. Back to himself. This happens at the end when Jesus returns. And this is very important. Jesus is coming again to universally gather his elect bride, to be presented to him in splendor, and to be united to God forever. Guys, when it says God's elect, it's very simple. Elect, all it means is it's a choice. God chose a bride. Very simple. God chose a people. It's, I look at it this way. I'm a sports guy. God said, I want a team. I'm going to get my team and I'm going to be the coach, right? If you want to t- use that illustration. But do you know there's, a, there's only one way you get on the team as an individual? How do we get on the team? How do we become part of this chosen elect bride? By grace through Faith in Jesus Christ. If you want to be part of God's bride, if you want to be part of his chosen people, covenant people, we as individuals must what? We must choose. We must choose. We must choose and say yes to the free gift of salvation that Jesus Christ has given us through his death and resurrection. Don't miss that. That's all it means. There is a choice bride, but we don't get to become part of that unless we believe unless we when you believe you get to be part of that team. So again, Israel is God's chosen and treasured possession. First Peter, you are a chosen race and a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation and a people for his own possession. Now you're God's people. This is again the same language that we just read in Hosea. And this is from 1 Peter chapter 2. Now let's talk real quick about this gathering because if you don't have a good understanding about this final gathering, then you can get really confused about how this stuff is going to play out in the end, okay? It's not as complicated as we make it. You have to go back and look. If I were, if I were to stand up here and read to you every passage in the Old Testament that mentions this day that God gathers his people to himself, we would not have time to stay here. We would be here all afternoon. Because if you start reading the Old Testament, guys, this is a theme that was established in the Old Testament that Jesus just highlighted in in his teaching, okay? I'm going to give you a few, and I want you to see how it's all connected, okay? All of these passages are dealing with the day of the Lord. Again, when Messiah comes and he establishes his what? His kingdom. All of these passages, look at what it says. He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and... Gather Israel to himself. I will restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. Ezekiel 11. Thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. Again, Ezekiel 11. I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put in them, and they shall know, excuse me, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. y'all see the language? That's the same language from Sinai. You're going to be my, my people. I'll be your God. Okay? This is all talking now future, Isaiah 11. In that day, I will extend my hand a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people. And I will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Does that sound familiar? Four corners of the earth. Well, if you go ahead and look at what Jesus said, said, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. Jesus, again, building on this idea that there's coming a day when he's going to gather us all back together, guys, from every nation. This is who Israel really is. It's the collective body of God's people. Let's don't miss that. Look at what Jesus says. After the tribulation of those days, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send out his angels and he will what? Gather us. He's going to bring us all together. Gather us from the four winds and from the four ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. Same, same event, guys. Paul says that's not going to happen until the Antichrist is revealed. He's saying this final gathering will not take place until the great tribulation happens first. He's given us parameters so that we can understand what's happening. And then he says in 1 Thessalonians 4, For we who are alive and are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command and the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who may be alive through the tribulation, we then will get called up together with them and gathered with them in this cloud, this cloud of witnesses to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the lord you know what all that says guys is that abraham and isaac and jacob and david and daniel and moses and all the old testament saints they get to be resurrected what so as soon as they're resurrected they get their bodies we're not going to go before them if we're alive when jesus comes we're not going to go before them they get to go first and then right there around the same time it happens pretty much closely simultaneously then we who are alive we also get to be caught up and gathered to the lord at the end. And then look at some of these passages that talk about how we will be presented to the Lord on this special wedding day. Paul says, "I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a what? A pure virgin to Christ." Now, we don't think about the church as being a pure virgin today. We got a lot of stuff to get out, right? A lot of sin, a lot of idolatry, but whose righteousness has have we been given? Jesus has what clothed us he's covered us in his pure righteousness look at what Isaiah 61 he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with jewels guys this is all marriage language and this is what happens at the end of the age. You will be called, my delight is in her, and your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and the land shall be married, for as a young man marries a woman, and so your sons will marry you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. This is the marriage, guys. This is what we get to look forward to. Revelation 21, there's coming down out of heaven as prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is Israel this is the beautiful bride that God is preparing that we get to be part of now here's where it gets really good and we're gonna we're gonna kind of wrap this thing up over the next 10 minutes but I want to just recap what we've talked about remember there's one bride Israel we get to be part of that when we put our faith in Jesus Jesus died to do away with that old covenant to do away with that old marriage law so that he could establish a what a new covenant then now he becomes our God, we become his people, and he puts the law and the spirit where? In us, in our hearts. It's, a, it's an intimate relationship. Thank God for Jesus. And then he's coming to gather all of his people in the, at the end of the age. When, Jesus, when the sky rolls back, here comes Jesus on a cloud in all of his power and glory. He's going to send his angels out, and we're going to be gathered from the ends of the earth and the ends of heaven. This is God's bride all coming together, dressed in righteousness. So that when Jesus comes, the bridegroom king comes back to earth as king of kings, ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. Guys, guess what? We're going to have a marriage ceremony. We're going to be presented to him pure, dressed in white. It's going to be an amazing day. One of my favorite bands is a band called City Harmonic, and they wrote this song. I think I don't I forget the name of the song, but there's a line in it. And I'm going to read. I'm going to say it to you right now. He says, this is the story of the son of God hanging on a cross for me. And it ends with the bride and groom standing by a glassy seat. This is this is the story of God's redemption, guys, that we get to be a part of. So after we're presented to the Lord holy and blameless and pure, not because of our righteousness, but because of His righteousness that He's given us, this is what happens, guys. The marriage then is consummated, and we're going to throw down. All right, can I get an amen? We're going to have a party. It's going to be the greatest celebration that you could ever possibly imagine. And it's not going to take place in heaven up on the clouds. It's going to take place where? right here on the earth in physical form we're going to have resurrected bodies but we will have physical bodies nonetheless and we're going to eat and it's going to be good and we're going to drink new wine sorry for you southern baptists in the room (laughs) we're going to drink some wine okay it's going to be good This is the wedding supper. This is the marriage supper. This is the celebration of all God's people. After we're married to our lamb, the wedding supper of the lamb, we're going to sit down at the table in the New Jerusalem, and we're going to feast like never before. And we are invited, those of you who have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, blessed are those who are what? Invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. I just showed you that. Now look at Isaiah 25. Listen to this. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples. Again, is it just for this select group? It's for all what? All people. We become part of that. A feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine. He's going to break out the good stuff. The rich food full of marrow and aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, a veil that is spread over all nations. Why will the veil be removed? Because when Jesus comes, the heavens are going to be what? Rolled back like a scroll. They're going to pass away. There will be no more separation between heaven and earth. Isaiah 25, and he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away every tear from all faces. And the reproach of his people will be taken away from all the earth. And the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Joel 2, you shall eat plenty and be satisfied. You will know that I am the Lord in the midst of Israel. And that I am the Lord your God and there is, listen, there is nobody else. What's been the problem of God's people for history, for for all of history? We've gone and chased after other what? Other gods. And the Lord says, you shall have no other God before me. In this day, there will be no one else. He will be our God. We will be his people and there will be no one else. And my people will never again be put to shame. Now, just in case it was a question about when this marriage will take place, Jesus reminds us. Look at what he said. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. He's eating the last Passover meal with his disciples. Look at what he says. I tell you, I will not eat this bread until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took the cup and said, take this, divide it. I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God, what? So the marriage supper of the Lamb cannot happen until the kingdom of God comes where? To the earth. There is no other timing. This thing happens at the end of the age when Jesus returns, just in case there was a a confusion. And he says, I will assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom so that you may eat and drink at my table and in my kingdom. And of course, he gives us these robes of righteousness. So, guys, I'm going to finish right here, my last point. What can we do now? What does this have to do with you and me? Well, Jesus tells us. He said, you better be what? You better be dressed. You better be ready. Don't show up to your wedding day dressed in filthy rags. Don't show up to your wedding day with nothing to offer. Don't show up to your wedding day empty-handed. Don't show up to your wedding day having been running around with other lovers. You see what I'm saying? Jesus is trying to get our attention. He's saying this wedding day is coming. And guys, the whole whole point of the millennial kingdom that we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks is this. Is that God is using this life as a training ground to get us ready for what? The kingdom that is to come. If we we don't take advantage of this life that we have here to get ourselves ready for what is to come, we are missing a tremendous opportunity. And so Jesus is saying we must always be ready and dressed for our bridegroom to return so that we may be found faithful and worthy of this kingdom. I'm going to share with you just a couple more verses before we go. We're almost done. This This is your application for today. You ready? Jesus said in Luke 12, Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. And like men who are waiting for their master to come home from a wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds. Stay awake, guys. Don't get deceived. Don't get caught sleeping. This is what blows me away. Truly I say to you, he who, Jesus, the master, he will dress himself for service. He's going to take up the, the the garments of a servant. And he's going to have us recline at the table at this wedding supper. And he's going to what? Serve us. That sounds upside down, doesn't it? That's how God's kingdom works. We're going to have to wipe our snotty faces and cry for about 30 30- minutes hours before we can even eat because jesus is serving me like well how does that work this isn't right isn't that what peter told you jesus you're not gonna wash my feet he said okay then you ain't got no place for me okay lord you can wash my feet right i mean that's that's the way it's gonna be right what do you're not supposed to be serving me lord i'm supposed to be served no 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 no, no. sit down this is my pleasure i want to serve you what an amazing message but he's telling us to be ready Even if he comes in the second watch or the third watch, blessed are those servants he finds awake. You must be ready for the Son of Man's coming in an hour you do not expect. Stay awake, be sober, be alert. Don't make excuses. And then finally, we know the ten virgins in Matthew 25 as I finish on this. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five were foolish. They weren't ready. Five were wise, and as the bridegroom was delayed, they became sleepy. But at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And while they were going, so the ones who didn't have oil in their lamps had to go try to find some oil. It was too late for them. The bridegroom came, and those who were what? Those who were ready went out to meet him. And they went in with him. And they were invited to the marriage feast, and the door was The door was what? The door was shut. At that point, it's too late. I'm going to ask our praise team to go ahead and make their way up. As we think about what it means to be ready. So guys, I want you to think about your life right now in this perspective. As we look at the millennial kingdom, we're going to look over the next few weeks. Jesus is coming to judge and to make war and he's going to reward us. Did you know that? You're going to get a reward according to what you have done right here. Now Paul tells us that Jesus is coming in flaming fire and everything's going to be tested by what? By fire. And some of us We'll get in, as through what? As through fire, but we'll have what? Nothing to show. We'll be saved. We'll get into the kingdom, but we're going to have to go before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ empty-handed. Say, Lord, I, don't have, I have nothing. It was all burned up. Guys, are we investing in things in this life That when it's tested through the fires of the holiness of God, when he comes, that when it passes through the fire, it still what? Still remains. We have something to give him. We have something to show of our faithfulness. There is something to, to, to think about when it comes to our rewards. Are you living your life right now, not storing your treasure on earth, but storing what? Are you storing your treasures in heaven? That's what I would have, that's what God would have us think about today. May we be found faithful and ready to stand pure and blameless before Jesus on our wedding day. What would Jesus find you, let's think about your last couple days. Had Jesus returned, what would he have found you doing? Think about that. This last year. Had Jesus returned today, what would he, how would he evaluate this last year of your life? What have you really been doing? That's what this is about, being a faithful bride. Remove the distractions and repent of the worldly pursuits that are hindering you from being found worthy of this coming kingdom. Guys, as we sing one more song, I just want to ask you to pray and say, God, sh- search me. Know my heart. See if there be any offensive way in me. I can't help my brother do anything else until I get what? i got to get this out of my eye first. I've got to examine my own heart first. That's what this is all about. So as we sing, you pray, you ask God to show you and, and examine your heart accordingly. And then let's all walk out of here refreshed and receiving God's mercy, receiving God's forgiveness, and knowing that he has given us another opportunity to go and be faithful, to be faithful to him as his as His beloved bride his cherished bride amen let's pray together lord thank you so much for loving us unconditionally that you have chosen for yourself a people of your own possession and lord it's it's our choice to be a part of that that you've extended salvation you've extended the free gift of eternal life through your son and yet lord if we if we if we reject that gift lord we don't get to be a part of your bride. We don't get to be part of the covenant people. But Lord, if we, by faith, receive that gift of eternal life and enter into this relationship with you, God, we get to participate in the greatest blessing of all, which is to know you, our God, our Savior, and to know that we are your people and you are our God forevermore. And until that day comes, Lord, when we get to celebrate this in the kingdom with you in heaven, I mean, with that, with your... with. Your kingdom on this earth, Lord, when, you're, when heaven comes down and we are with you here, Lord, until that day. Lord, may you find us faithful. May we turn from our wicked ways. May we come out of this harlot Babylonian system, Lord, that, that is by, uh, keeping us as slaves to sin. And Lord, may we, may we live righteously before you, Lord, because we love you. Not because we have to, because we want to. Because we love you. So, Lord, search our hearts. Help us to see any offensive way in our hearts. And may you lead us in this way everlasting. in, In your holy and precious name that we do pray. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand? Let's continue as we finish in our time of worship.
1: The Prince of... Sorrow and love me down. There such love?